0: Welcome into another edition of the Dubcast. I am merely Bo Bishop. He is Johnny Ginter. And, buddy, we have camp that has started. I mean, I saw guys in duffel bags on Sunday. <laughs> I saw helmets and then shoulder pads uh, today on Tuesday. Uh, there is football to be had in the state of Ohio, and it is a beautiful thing. And um, it, I guess let's start there. Just the fact that here we are. It is August. It is the second week of August. And the Scarlet and Gray have reported. And this time goes so quick. Before we know it, we're going to be talking about a game.
1: Yeah, well, I, I want to start off by saying one of my favorite things about the uh, the incoming you know, freshman and all the other people. I, I just like seeing people check into the hotel. I like all the <laughs> hullabaloo about that. And I am especially happy with Liam McCullough coming in with his shirt uh, with a picture of himself checking into camp. So I'm, I'm that, really impressed by that.
0: Was that not the most unbelievable of all the – like what a sense of humor on that kid <laughs> – to do that, like I, that, was so incredible, and we did such a great job uh, on the site capturing that. And having been there for that thing a few times, even as you're there, you're aware of the absurdity of it. I mean, as like right. 18 year old kids are walking in to like that Hilton or Hyatt or whatever the hell it is down there by down there in the uh, uh, the, the district there, right? There. It was right by my television station when I was at Channel 10. It was right around the corner, and you see those guys come down in there. And uh, the the absurdity of it was was not lost on any of us. Um, But at the same time, it was there was there was uh, some great comedy in it. There were some funny kids that came along. I remember Braxton Miller with a drone, um, and and some of the I remember Jeff Hireman with like a had an F bomb on his shirt one time. I mean, there was there's always some kid, and the fact that it was Liam McCullough to me was was really the perfect guy to, to walk in with that t shirt.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, all of the specialists, all the guys who on special teams, they, I think they have a really cool camaraderie going. They've got a really cool vibe with them. You've obviously got yeah. the Twitter account that they run, which is hilarious. Like, everybody should look at the OSU specialist Twitter account. Uh, you know, it, I enjoy that. I, that's If there's going to be a reason to watch people come in and check in at camp, I want there to be a fun reason. I want there to be an interesting reason, rather like that guy looks Jack. Like they all look Jack. I don't care. I right, want to see right. funny, goofy crap, and that was that was great. That was amazing.
0: The one thing that is kind of fun is when you can see like the body transformation from freshman year to so- to sophomore year. Because sure. Mickey does such an incredible job with those kids, and they their their transformation is stunning in in many cases. If you put you know like their freshman year walking into camp up against their sophomore year walking into camp, in many instances they don't even look like the same human beings. So that I always did enjoy that. The other thing that jumped out to me this week, and we talked touched on this a little bit on the on the show last week, um, but at Big Ten Media Day, you and I both picked up on a very confident Urban Meyer, and what i saw from him in the first press conference he had at camp and some of the things i heard him say um was that of a very confident coach one that almost knows That he has a trump card up his sleeve to be played whenever he is ready to play it. Um, He had a great line about the talent on the roster, about how talent is never going to be the problem, and how there are monsters ahead of guys. And he was talking about the linebackers specifically in Booker and Worley and, of course, McMillan, who played a year ago. Um, But his overwhelming confidence to me, and he's a confident guy anyway. I mean, he just drips confidence. Um, But kind of a steady, almost, I-know-something-you-don't-know attitude that I'm picking up on from Urban early on in camp.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that, and I think that's buoyed by the fact that um, maybe some of the guys who he expected to come in looking fit, looking competent, looking like they're on the same page with some of the other guys, especially you know, vis-a-vis off- offensive line and, and wide receiver and whatnot, I think he's starting to see that. One of the things that I thought was interesting, I was going through Eric's notes about uh, practice and whatnot, and I thought it was really kind of interesting that um, on the offensive line – especially the first team offensive line freshman Michael Jordan right. without the black stripe yep. was already contributing already like right there in the mix of it that's a really good sign in my opinion i like to see that that's awesome
0: i'm trying to remember if in the time i was in columbus covering that team on a daily basis if i ever saw that and i don't think i ever have
1: yeah a true, I mean, it's, a true it's freshman very, it's really,
0: like, I, I mean, you'd have to go back. We need Jack Park on here or something. Like, who's our, our site historian? We need somebody to tell us if a freshman in the first week of camp has ever been in the position that Jordan's in right now. I mean, that's yeah, incredible.
1: And, I, and you look at any other team and you're like, okay, well, we've got a you know freshman offensive lineman making waves first week of camp, first day of camp. Most other teams are going to be shaking in their boots. But in this sense, you feel that it's really earned and that, yes, they do have depth problems, but... That didn't seem like an issue where it was an emergency move or something like that. They're not taking a defensive lineman and saying, God, we need this dude. Right. We need a body. So I, I like that development to me that says that he's got a lot of young guys who are ready to contribute. And you know, with the way they've recruited, it's hard to say otherwise. So you know, I was feeling a little more pessimistic last week after some of the reports from camp, after some of the research that I did. Uh, I'm going to walk that back a little bit. I'm going to say that (laughs) my confidence is starting to swell after exactly like three days. So that's all it took.
0: I think that's a great thing to pick up on. And, and I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast is also reading uh, the, the work that Eric's doing and, and really all the guys on the site. But he's crushing it with the notes and the observations. And um, you really feel like you're there. And um, I felt like it's real, I'm really proud to be a part of this group because it's incredible what we've done in the first few days of camp, and that'll only just continue as camp goes along. You mentioned the impression um, that that left with Jordan and agreed that was the biggest impression um, that I had as well. The, the next thing that jumped out to me, though... Um, um, and it's funny seeing the back and forth between all these guys that we can observe through social media is that linebacker group that I mentioned earlier um, right. with Booker and Worley just slotted right in with McMillan, um, the thinking almost that they won't miss a beat. Now think about how ridiculous that is, that they won't miss a beat from Darren Lee and Joshua Perry. Um, is is absurd to think that that's even possible. <laughs> um, but I saw even Darren tweet out um, – something to that effect as well that these guys are ready and i go back to urban's line about monsters and i heard luke fickle today talk about the talent with booker uh and worley and i think about the fact that they're holding off you know uh baker and hilliard and some of these other talented guys and booker to me specifically is a kid who we have seen in in for the last several years kind of flash like you'd see him make a play special teams or pop in here and there it just so was be it just so happened that he was behind you know two Two great linebackers. It was hard to get on the field, but now it's opened up. And Johnny, it really reminds me of of linebacker U. And and forever, Penn State was linebacker you. For the last 25 years, Ohio State's been linebacker you. And they're back to that point. And if you think about to me, if you think about from a positional standpoint, no group, with the exception to quarterback, has been buoyed more with the the coming on campus of Urban Meyer than the linebacker group. If you look at who we had when he came on board and who we've had since he's been on board, the jump up is enormous. I mean, they've got guys now that come in waves that just fly all over the field. And to me, it looks like there will be no drop up. And that's a crazy thing to say when you think of the two guys that that are having to be replaced.
1: I think it's interesting because I think some of the... I don't think overall there will be drop off. I think the overall talent level, the overall playing level will be pretty much the same. I do think, however, that the, the focus has switched towards the middle linebackers, towards, you know, Raekwon and, and some of the other guys. But what's interesting to me is, you know, there have been times in the past where Ohio State has gotten big, huge, big name linebacker recruits. And some of them panned out excellently, they've done great, some of them haven't. But you never really knew, I think, what you were going to get. I feel that Luke Fickle in particular doesn't get the credit that he deserves sometimes for coaching that group up. Because if you look yep. at some of the guys that have come in, and granted, this is a dude who got all the crap just laid on top of him after that 6-7 and seven season. Yep, He's back to doing what he's really, really, really good at, and you're seeing the fruits of that.
0: It's interesting you bring that up. Um, that was the craziest college football season I've ever covered was that one obviously like all of you like like all of us would, whether we observed it or covered it? And um, the fire that Luke was thrown into was hotter than any I've ever seen. And all he was coaching for was a chance to be the head coach at Ohio State. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it, right? Um, right? And and it didn't go well. Um, it reminds Luke very much could have a career like and and for the young kids out there, you'll have to Google the name. But there was a defensive coordinator at Florida State by the name of Mickey Andrews, and Mickey Andrews at, at Florida State was the best defensive coordinator for about 15 years. And if you think about what Florida State did in the 90s defensively with the way they got after the quarterback, the amount of talent that came through there, Mickey was the guy in charge of that. Now, Mickey Andrews was a lot of things. He was probably the best defensive coordinator in college football for a 15-year period, but what he was not is a head coach. Did not have that gene, did not have that makeup, did not have that want to maybe. He stuck his whole career as a defensive coordinator at Florida State, and when Bowden stepped down, he stepped down with him. And I'm wondering if that is who Luke Fickle is. And there are worse things for you to be than one of the best defensive coordinators or defensive minds around. He's still so young. He's continuing to evolve. He recruits at an incredibly high level. You bring up a great point about the linebacker play and the way that he coaches that up. He's called some great defenses the last couple of years, specifically now that him and Urban are in sync about what's wanted and the talent is matching up with what Urban wants out of the the defensive side of the ball. And the fact that he has not chased a head coaching job I mean, he's, there have been times when I've heard his name whispered for jobs, but never seriously, never seriously. And I just wonder that- if he just knows that this is what he's best at. He's making a great yeah. amount of money for a coordinator, far more than you would have made t- even 10 years ago. Um, he can make a great living in Columbus, Ohio. He can coach under Urban and he can do what any, having been thrown into the fire, he's aware that maybe being a head coach to, isn't all it's cracked up to be.
1: That was the question I was going to ask you. I mean, do you think because of that, that experience maybe that's making him a little gun shy about potential head coaching job? I mean, not only that, but seeing Darryl Hazel and the stuff that he's gone through at Purdue. I mean, I just feel but like Let's you know.
0: look at our let's look at our last two offensive coordinators. Darryl Hazel takes the job at Kent State, right? And that's right. a nice that's a decent move for him. He wins there right away, but then he has a chance to go get a bigger job and he goes to Purdue. And what we've found out is that that is an incredibly difficult place to win. Our next offensive coordinator is Tom Herman. Of course, Bowman in between. We know where he is. Uh, <laughs> but but <laughs> Tom, Tom Herman is gets the perfect job in a loaded Houston situation. And now there's talk that Houston's too good to be added to the Big 12, that they're fearful of them. And from there, he can get whatever job he wants. So it, there is a, something to the fact of you have to land at the right spot or else you can be buried forever. But I also think Luke is a guy, look, he's a family man. Uh, Him and his lovely wife, they've got like 15 kids. Like, they've got a ton of kids running around, and they love Columbus. He's a Buckeye. You know, I don't think he would ever be the guy to replace Urban whenever that time comes. But I don't know that that's that big of a deal to him anymore either. He's making a big chunk of change, and he has the security of being on a coaching staff that's headed by Urban Meyer. He gets to coach at his alma mater, and he's had the experience of of being a head coach and seeing it's not quite all it's cracked up to be maybe.
1: Yeah, and and honestly, like you need guys like that on your coaching staff. I I understand that Urban Meyer's all about giving people opportunities and you know just give me two years man and I'll let you go do what you want to do but you have to have lifers on your staff you have to have guys that can create continuity between one coach to the next because otherwise you're going to get some guys who have no idea like who they're going to be able to talk to over the course of their careers and I think it's super important that you have a guy like him Larry Johnson some other guys staying on staff creating that consistency that I think a lot of kids really need when they come into college.
0: I don't know that we've ever had a better staff. I got to watch myself because we did it. You know, when we had Herman, it was really good. But I mean, when yeah. you think about Coach Studs and you talk about Larry Johnson, you talk about Ed Warner and you talk about Luke Fickle, boy, that is. Got Shiano. Oh, God, Shiano's in the mix. I mean, when you yeah. think about. That's right. When you think about in totality, as good as Herman was as a coordinator, um, boy, this is a talented coaching staff. I don't know that. You know, you'd have to go way back. I mean, I know those Woody staffs had like everybody in the world on him, and and actually uh, Earl Bruce's staff. A lot of you know Saban was an assistant at one point, and Urban was yep. a grad assistant, and so I mean, there's some probably some star-studded class coaching staffs there, but this one's pretty damn good, I'll tell you that. And there's no there's no Nick Siciliano walking through the door of this coaching staff. <laughs> I'll t- you know what I mean? I mean that's that is not <laughs> happening at all. So um, real quick, what are what are the uh, where will your eyes be paying and and as you read and as you observe over the next week or so? Um, what what position battles what what storylines in camp we have your eye on
1: you know i i still am interested to see what happens long term with the offensive line i I mean again i just talked up michael jordan and i think that's great i want to see if he maintains that if there's any ups and downs with regards to who is able to just maintain positions on that because i know you know studs and and warner and everybody else is just going to be like on top of that um I'm also really interested to see some of the skill positions who they decide to really, you know, like gel with, like for instance, the H back, uh, Curtis Samuel, Dontre Wilson are going to be in a huge battle in camp about who's really going to be the guy. And I know that Dontre Wilson is really putting a lot into this year. I mean, this is for him really his money year. So I'm going to be really curious to see how that uh, handles and, and how that kind of shakes out. Um, defensively, you know, there's a lot going on. I mean, some people were talking about, for instance, you know, the the defensive line and, and who's going to contribute there. Um that's that to me is also gonna be really crazy because again, like we talked about last week, you've got some guys who are some obvious pass rushers. I want to see who's gonna be the run stoppers. I wanna see who's gonna help yep. those linebackers out. So for me, those are the the big positions I'm gonna be looking at.
0: Yeah, I think the things you 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 hit on are, are spot on. I'm I'm also curious to see the quarterbacks behind JT. Um you know, yeah. this is JT gets hit a lot and he, he's been bounced. We've lost him for games. Um, I'm curious to see if Joe football is going to be ready to go, um, as the backup. And I'm interested to see how that progresses as because you need to have a guy. I mean, one thing about Urban's quarterbacks, they always get hurt. Every one of them has. Um, nobody gets through a year and we don't have the luxury of Cardell Jones behind, um, Behind JT, like we had, you know, and Braxton a couple of years ago, but even behind JT a year ago. Um, oh, by so I'm the curious way, I to, to see quick.
1: I want to say something yeah. real quick. In 2014, would anybody say that we had the luxury of Cardell Jones being behind <laughs> JT Barrett? Oh, hello. no. Hell no, no, I'm no, saying?
0: no. No, but there was a ton of confidence in JT Barrett in the coaching right. staff. They had a lot of belief um, that they would be just fine. I mean, obviously, you don't want to lose the two-time Big Ten MVP. Clearly, um, but if he th- that J they had a lot of confidence in JT Barrett. Um, maybe yeah. they didn't. Maybe even they didn't know what he was physically in terms of his ability to run. But they knew that he could handle uh, everything they threw at him. And that will be interesting to see who that guy is. Of course, nobody thought Cardell could do what he did. I, you know, someday someone will make a, a movie about that, and people won't believe it because it's that ridiculous. Uh, you know what he was able to do in those in that those two months uh, to win the national championship. So you're exactly right. Uh, but you do have to have somebody behind JT who can be relied upon. Um, and I think early on, you know, in those early games, you know, JT will get a qu- you know, a couple of quarters, and if those games can be blowouts, uh, you're going to see. Joe Football get in there and sling it around a little bit. And they got to figure out if, if he's the guy who can be the backup or or where it goes from there. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how, how those guys look, you know, when the bullets start flying a little
2: bit.
1: Yeah, and that is really, I mean, you said it. It's not something you ever want to really think about, but you're right. Like, there is a pretty decent chance that at some point JT Barrett's going to have to come out of a game during the season. And hopefully That's- it's not a big deal, but you got to know who's behind him.
0: It's a lock. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. like no one's gotten through a season unscathed. With Urban, you take too many hits running that offense. Um, so yeah. you got to have a guy ready, and And my guess is they will. All right, we believe here on the Dubcast that there are only four teams that matter in the Big Ten East. One of them is Penn State, and it just so happens that they are a new affiliate of ours, a new friend of ours, Roar Lions Roar. Bill DeFilippo, it joins us, and Bill, this is exciting times. First of all, welcome to the family, right? we're Are, are we a family? Is that how we're defined at this point?
2: Uh, I think that's uh, something kind of like it. We haven't planned anything like a family reunion, but uh, it, it would be in Happy Valley this year. So if you guys need a Ford to crash on, by all means, let me know. Can we do it? Just
0: Can we do it at Nema Cullen?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. That's not that far, I know, right? Uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, oh, you got to get
0: to Nema Cullen, right, Johnny? You know what Nema Cullen is, right? I have no idea. Oh my God! Maybe <laughs> just because <laughs> I have right. children, Nema Cullen <laughs> Woodlands Resort in Pennsylvania. It's unbelievable.
2: Oh. Oh, yeah. well, I'm uh, I'm not much of a Woodwinds Resort kind of guy. Oh, you might but, be. I am. I'm more of a sit-on-my-couch uh, <laughs> kind of guy. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to check that out. Definitely. Well, when
0: we, whenever we have the family reunion, I think I, we'll do it there. You guys can Google it when we're done with the show. Here, <laughs> uh, Bill, obviously, this has been uh, a hell of a clawback for the program. And finally feeling like from a numbers uh, position – you're back. That's James Franklin. you got the quarterback, who's not the prototypical NFL quarterback. They're going to have to work on that, but at least your numbers are right. What is the feeling in Happy Valley around this program as James Franklin, in, you know, kind of in his words, has the numbers and his guys starting to roll a little bit?
2: See, that's a very interesting question because when you listen uh, to Franklin talk about uh, the program and the state of the program and where Penn State is right now, he is basically describing this uh, because Penn State's back; uh, all the sanctions are gone, back to full scholarship numbers, stuff like that. Penn State is in a position for the first time during the Franklin era where he has a full roster of guys, and yeah, there are a few guys who got scholarships for who were walk-ons and they wanted to reward them, that kind of thing. But for the most part, Penn State is backed the number of scholarships they're allowed to have, and Franklin is describing this as year one. Which is really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because this is really the, again, first year he has a full roster that is more or less made up of guys that he recruited. And I think that there is um, cautious optimism uh, with a lot of Penn Staters. Uh, I don't think anyone is expecting the program to get into the Michigan and Ohio State uh, echelon of the Big Ten. Maybe it gets into that level where Michigan State and, um, I guess, Iowa would be uh, if we're just going off of last year. But, yeah, maybe this is the year where we start seeing uh, Penn State take a step forward. I don't think anyone's expecting ten wins. Nine wins would be nice. I don't think anyone's really expecting that. But if Penn State could win seven or eight games and it could have an offense that looks um, – better than it has the last (laughs) few years. I think that's a nice way of putting it. And I think that there will be some people who, heading into – this is a program that I think is one year away, which is the best way to describe it. I think 2017 Penn State football is going to be really good, and it just requires some patience in 2016.
1: So you kind of hit on something that I'm a little curious about, and it, it goes to the offense last year and in years past. You know, Christian Hackenberg is, is kind of one of the guys that I was really interested in from the time that he, you know, started college ball until the time he exited, just because of the the maturation process and how that changed. And I'm really kind of curious what was that relationship like between him and Franklin specifically? Because it seemed to me like there was some kind of tension there that maybe it didn't exactly work out. Was that a scheme thing? Was that a personality thing? What was
2: what was the deal with that? I you know, I'm not hundred percent sure. Um I know that when uh, Robert Klemko of Monday Morning Quarterback uh, he wrote a story that basically said that Hackenberg was throwing Franklin under the bus uh, in interviews, and I, I made it a point to talk to some people about that and everyone's like, yeah, if he's doing that, then he must be talking about a different Christian Hackenberg than the one that we all know. Like he's had plenty of opportunities to do that over the last two years. And he's always kind of grinned his teeth and bared it, uh, bore it, bared it. I don't, I, uh, yeah, I, I've never had to say that in the past tense. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, but yeah. And then uh, there was one weekend, uh, I think I read up on this somewhere The Hackenberg came back and He and Franklin had a talk, and if there were any uh, underlying tensions, they were like, you know it passes the pass, let's not worry about that. So I I think that there was a concern about scheme and fit, and I I think anyone who watched Penn State the last few years knows um, that Hackenberg wasn't really a fit into what uh, James Franklin seemed like he wanted to do, what departed offensive coordinator John Donovan seemed like he wanted to do. And... Uh, I think I definitely got under Hacks' skin every now and then. You could see that. uh, He generally, you know, tried to put on a happy face. But there were some times where, you know, he's a competitive dude. He's going to let some stuff get to him every now and then. So uh, I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to bet that, yeah, there were some moments where the two of them didn't see eye to eye. And they seemed like the kind of guys who wanted to work past that because that's what was best for the program. So, um, yeah, I I think everything – is cool there. But uh, if you need any help, I'll see if I can get you Christian Hackenberg's phone number one of these days. You guys could, uh- Bill, you know what's interesting?
0: <laughs> what I, I commend both of them in the sense that um, we saw when Rich Rodriguez got to Michigan and he ran Ryan Mallett out. And and that went, that went south for, for Rich in a hurry. And I give James and Hackenberg credit from this, and this is from afar, but both of them understanding that maybe the fit wasn't right, but both of them, were they, it seemed like they tried to make it work, at least outwardly it yeah. did. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think they both deserve credit for that. So, so now Franklin has his quarterback, uh, or quarterbacks, I guess, as you figure it out over yeah. the course of the next month or so. Um, what Who's going to win that job in your mind, and, and what type of player is it?
2: Um, I, if I had to guess, I mean, right now, Franklin has basically said, listen, Trace McSorley, a, uh, I believe he's a redshirt sophomore out of Virginia. He's not a, I'm going to say a lot of uh, things that are often said to describe shorter white quarterbacks. So I apologize for that. Uh, But by all accounts, you know, not the biggest dude, but he's apparently a great leader. The kind of guy that people gravitate to. He has some game experience. We saw him in uh, the Tax Slayer Bowl against Georgia. He came in after Hackenberg got hurt, and it seemed like Penn State was one drive away from winning or tying that football game. They just didn't get that opportunity. Uh, he's a more mobile guy. He's the kind of guy who he's never going to open up a defense uh, with the deep ball in the way we saw the Hackenberg could do. But he is pretty – He was one of the guys really accurate within, you know, 15, 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. And with the wealth of skill position talent Penn State has, I mean, he just has to get the ball into their hands and watch what they could do. Because, you know, when you have a guy – I mean, you guys saw this last year with like Ezekiel Elliott. You get the ball into his hands and you worry about that later. Saquon Barkley's kind of in the same mold of running backs. Uh, the other guy is Tommy Stevens. Uh 6'4", 215, he has all the measurables that you want in a quarterback. Uh, it seems with him that uh, he's never played in the game. and He's a redshirt freshman. He's just one of those guys who needs to see some time and really start to pick up Penn State's offense and really establish himself as a leader. Uh, th- this isn't me trying to say that I expect, you know, Stevens to take the job from McSorley or anything like that, but it seems like Franklin is giving him opportunities to take the job whether or not he wins the job I have no idea but if you're asking me who I think takes the first snap against Kent State I would I'd probably put heavy money on Trace McSorley yeah that's that's probably I mean from what I've
1: heard that's probably a pretty good bet here's the one thing that I'm really interested about in addition to some of the other stuff I guess but it's a crowded Big Ten East right where does (laughs) just to say the least so where does Penn State fit into this I mean How do you see the season panning out, especially with the fact that they've really got, you know, a schedule of guys that are just going to really be teeing off on them sometimes, or looking to at
2: least? I mean, that's tough. That's – I Penn State is fortunate in that, you know, it has four huge Big Ten games. Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, and Michigan State. Three of those four are at home. The one that's not not at home, they could play it anywhere in Penn State would probably lose because that's against Michigan, so – Oh, I mean, it has the opportunity to win, to t- get some good teams onto their field, which is always something. Especially, you know, night at Happy Valley, it has taken on a bit of a mythical status. But uh, teams just don't like coming to play at Happy Valley at night. So maybe they're able—I don't want to say—maybe they're able to knock off Ohio State because I'm on your podcast. Maybe they're able to knock <laughs> off Iowa. Maybe they're able to take down Michigan State. I don't know, but. The one thing that this program has really lacked under Franklin is that one win that you could point to and go. That was a win over a team that was definitely better and was the kind of win that gets the fans really, really excited. And Penn State's going to have some opportunities to win games like that. Again, I don't think Michigan is going to be uh, – I'm not holding my breath hoping that maybe they can make that a game. Uh, I think mean, the last time Ohio State came here and played at night, that was something else. That was Iowa, incredible. So, yeah. The last time Penn State and Iowa played, Penn State, you know, went to Kinnick and kicked the ever. Can I swear on here?
0: Oh, yeah, go ahead.
2: All right. All right. Oh, all right, good. Yeah, I'll just swear them. Kick the ever loving shit out of them in Kinnick. <laughs> and then Michigan State, uh, I don't think I can name a single player who plays for Michigan State this year, which more means that I haven't caught up on, you know, Bill Connolly's college football previews than anything. So (laughs) that's more on me. But I mean, listen, there is a chance that Penn State, you get that big win, you suddenly have the opportunity to say, listen, we're coming Michigan, we're coming Ohio State, we're coming Michigan State, and we're trying to get back to that top tier of the Big Ten.
0: You know, you we've we've talked a lot about your Saquon Barkley was absurd. Like he's going to be just a complete star. I I love that. I you know the the comparison of you when Ohio State had Elliott, that was such a you know you just knew that you were going to get something. I think this kid's that type of player. Maybe not to the level of top five pick in the draft, but he's going to be a superstar. We've talked a lot about fit. I'm curious about the fit of James Franklin at Penn State. And I've heard, I've got buddies of mine who are alumnus and, or alumni, whichever one's proper. And, and I've heard them call him coach Kardashian and I they're, they almost, they're like not even really in line with him. They don't really like him. He's not what they, you know, who they want. What is his fit there? Does it, does he feel at home there? Does this feel like a place where as, as we feel, you said, we're on the cusp of seven, 2017, 2018, this program really getting back maybe to kind of where it was. Is he the guy to take him there? Will he be there long enough to take him
2: there? I, that's a question for people who have a lot more money than me, uh, but I, i uh, that, that's actually a really good question, because there is definitely um, the group of the fan base, you know, the Penn Staters who really love tradition, and who right. really love, you know, that part of college football, who either they don't like, you know, such an emphasis on making recruiting a big deal, not like trying to recruit big players, you know, like National Signing Day events and stuff like that, or uh, millions and millions of dollars into do a locker room renovation. And if you're a person like that, I could definitely see why a guy like Franklin would maybe rub you the wrong way. Plus, there's, uh, I, there's always going to be fans, invariably, who don't like how a guy like Franklin, who for the last two years has done everything he can to put on a happy face, uh, will carry himself. Uh, I, whether or not that's genuine, I don't know. But he's tried to make... The one thing I will definitely give him is he has tried to make the best of the situation at Penn State for better or worse over the last uh, two, heading into year number three right now. So, yeah, I, and you can definitely see why that's the kind of thing to rub someone the wrong way. And as for if he is a long-term answer, assuming that his hot seat doesn't heat, heat up, like I don't think he's going anywhere. Like I don't think if like USC needs another coach or if... You know, an NFL job opens up. I don't think James Franklin is the kind of guy we want to take those. He seems like he legitimately wants to win at Penn State and get Penn State back to being, you know, one of the crown jewels of college football. So I'm not concerned about that. Hmm. Whether or not he gets the time, again, that's a question for somebody else. But it's a very interesting situation, and I will give you a much more clear answer. Uh, on September 17th after Penn State plays Temple because of Pittsburgh and Temple. Both beat Penn State. There's going to be a very loud chorus of people who are going to be calling for someone to lose their job.
0: Yeah, Bill, I just asked it because it does seem like it's almost a split fan base. Like there are oh, these absolutely. people who harken back to this golden era and almost want to forget everything that happened in 2011. And to them, James Franklin looks foreign. And then there's this, this other group that says, look, we can't win that way. And they see what urban's doing and they see what Harbaugh's doing. And they realize the only way you can win is with talent. And Franklin's trying to accrue talent. So yeah. it just seems like the, that the fan base is, is being trying to is, being pulled by two different factions almost yeah.
2: and one thing that i think franklin is cognizant of uh and this is something that for all of bill o'brien for all the love that i had for him as a football coach he really struggled with and that was uh the whole you know tradition aspect of being at a place like penn state where uh that that's always hanging over me, and that's something you always have to be aware of so even with franklin he did It was a small move, but when O'Brien came and uh, took over, he decided after the sanctions, I want everyone to know the names of all the kids who stayed with this program. We're going to put names on the back of the jerseys for the first time in program history. And prior to this, not this season, but last season, Franklin said, all right, we have gotten to the point where that's not really necessary anymore. Let's go back to Penn State tradition. Let's take the names back off. Let's... uh, You know, just little things like that. So Franklin is very much aware of Penn State and what that means. And I think that it's always going to be a struggle with a guy like Franklin who wants to look forward and wants to do cool new things, but also wants to be aware of things like tradition and history and things of that nature. Maybe he figures out that balance. I'm not sure. But if he ever does, he's going to be – just an outstanding ambassador for football in central Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting to see that kind of evolution of, of attitudes, especially when new coaches come into Penn state. And I guess I was going to ask you a little bit, it seemed like I had detected a, a little bit of bitterness in your voice. When you mentioned looking at potential NFL jobs for Franklin, um, you also talked a little bit about culture and tradition and whatnot. How much of that, is emphasized still at Penn State. Is that something where it is, you know, the events of the past like five years or so have maybe lessened that a little bit, or is that something where people still really, really consider that a huge part of the program, the the past, what, you know, Joe Paterno stood for, all the things like that, or is that kind of been rolled back a little bit?
2: See, I think that's one of those things that goes on a case-by-case basis. Like if I can go up to – 20 different people, I live in State College, I can go up to 20 different people and ask them that question and get 20 vastly different answers because it's just such a broad topic within the Penn State community. Like, don't get me wrong, things like, you know, the grand experiment that Joe really stood for and trying to, uh, how, how do I put this? Trying to make sure that you know, Penn State is inclu- an inclusive community for all football players. Those are really good things, and those are the kind of things that I think every coach uh, should strive for, obviously, especially now that we're in 2016, and it's something that I think that uh, the, the entire Penn State community rallies around. And it's those ideas that I think most of the community rallies around, and most of the community, when they look back on the Penn State tradition, you know, black shoes, basic blues, no names, all that stuff, I think that you will be hard pressed to find a Penn State fan who doesn't love those little aspects of Penn State and its tradition and things like that. Beyond that, I have no idea. Like, uh, like I think I mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier. I mentioned this before we came on. I'm a guy who likes to sit on his couch, so I <laughs> don't really talk about this stuff all that frequently. But yeah, it's it's always something interesting. And uh, again, it's something that I think that to get a really good answer, you have to come and you have to talk to people in state college, and... You, know, you have to be prepared to hear a variety of answers on a question that on the surface seems really simple.
0: Bill, I, I, this has been great. We appreciate the, uh, the the eye into the program. And I think one thing we can all agree upon, and, and I always felt like this with Michigan, like the Big Ten needs a legitimate Michigan. They need a legitimate Penn State as well for this That's league right. to be what it needs to be. Um, I think Nebraska is probably a lost cause because of recruiting issues. So uh, I'll, I'll just try and roll with the East and, and hope that those three <laughs> programs carry up the rest of the league. But it was great talking to you man we really do appreciate it and good luck with the site and welcome to the family all right i can't get out of here without letting my man have a little bit of the spotlight here this is your sport you were one a one-time elite swimmer <laughs> uh, and, and I, I hope i'm not misrepresenting uh but we, we've bit. had ourselves a, a bit of a swimming week uh katie ledecky swimming laps around people and then phelps uh on the night we're taping this phelps uh he kind of sticks it to the kid from South Africa yeah. and wins his 20th gold medal, man. This is right in your wheelhouse. I know you're passionate about it.
1: I'm. I'm. This has been a great week for swimming. I've actually got it on mute in the background here. And actually, when you say that I'm a late swimmer, I still hold a record in southwestern Ohio summer, like the whatever the summer swimming league is, um, the 200, I think it was the 213-14 breaststroke. And for, for guys, and uh, the reason why I hold that record is because they only swam it once in a major meet, and I think there were only five other kids swimming against me, and two of them DQ'd. So I beat <laughs> like three kids or two kids, and I still hold that record. Um, That's awesome. But it's nothing like what we're seeing at the Olympics Katie Ledecky is a monster. This is a person who typically swims, uh, you know, miles swims competitively, 800s, 400s on the outside. She just swam the 200 free, blew everybody out of the water, won gold in that. Michael Phelps is a 1,000 years old, came back. Uh, he just won the 200 uh, butterfly against, you know, you know, LaCloche and a lot of these other guys who have been gunning for him for years. You know, the old man comes back. It's like the old, you know, the old uh, the old sheriff. And the, yeah, it's the, the gunslinger, right? It's the gunslinger putting on the, the, you know, the piece one more time and cleaning up the town. Uh, you had Lily King calling you a last night, uh, a, a Russian swimmer who had been twice caught for That's doping awesome. recently as this March. Thank you. And still was allowed to swim. Lily King comes out, does a little Dikeme Mutombo finger wag, knocks her out, wins gold over her. Um, it's been an awesome, awesome start to the Olympics. I love the Olympics in general. I love swimming. The, the fact that these guys are in the water for 10 hours a day, you know, burning 30,000 calories or whatever it is, it, the dedication and the difficulty it is to get to that point is just unbelievable. And they're doing great. It, it's, it's been a really fun thing to watch.
0: I do not have your expertise. I won't pretend that I do. Uh, I can barely swim from one end to the other. Uh, so, But what I will say is from a uh, sports observer perspective, um, I'm to the point with Phelps, and Ledecky will maybe get there too. She just needs longevity. Um, but I'm to the point with Phelps where I really believe he's as good at this as anyone's ever been at anything in sport. Um, yeah. I, to me, he's Lionel Messi. He's uh, Wayne Gretzky. He's Michael Jordan. He's whoever you know he's that's who he is he's he's on a level that we've never seen anybody athletically at and to do it over this long to be the best in the world at something for 16 years yeah we don't have any point of reference for that. There's been guys who have... Who, I mean, Carl Lewis was in three Olympics, pretty good. Not dominant by the time he got to the end. Um, Usain Bolt will have a chance, uh, but that's three Olympics, not four. This is four Olympics for this dude. And to be the best in the world and win golds in four different Olympics, we we don't have a point of reference. I mean, he's won 20 gold medals. There's over 100 countries that haven't won 20 gold medals.
1: Yeah, he's... I think if, if you look at the medal count or whatever since... I don't know, since the last, since he started being in the Olympics, I think he's like one of the top 10 countries in the world in terms of metal count or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Um, it, here's the thing that I would say about Michael Phelps, because I agree with all that people forget, you know, with the Olympics, it's something that comes around every four years and, and we watch the events and we're like, yeah, that's great. We get all amped about, you know, field hockey and water polo and events that we never care about until it rolls around four more years from now. But People forget. And Michael Phelps went out. He was on the 4x100 free relay, which is like the sexy relay, right? Yep. That's the relay that everybody wants to be on. Yep. He went out and he demolished his 100. He that was awesome. He destroyed it. And, and that, that turn on the 50 that he yeah. did that won the race for the Americans, like that's why he's the best of all time. Because when yep. the chips are down, you absolutely have to get the best possible performance out of a dude. He always delivers and it's it is Michael Jordan S. Like it's incredible to see that guy swim. And again, like you said, over sixteen years, he's been that good. And that I
0: promise will be the longest we ever wax poetic about somebody from Michigan.
1: Yeah, right. right, exactly. That'll be the, I, I, I'll, I'll say he's from Maryland and it helps my
0: conscience. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, we're, yeah, we still got a whole week of it. So it'll be fun. We got a whole, I mean, we're now into camp where we'll, by the time we talk next week, we'll have a full weekend. We'll have a better feel on that. One thing I'm going to keep an eye on up here. And I something I want to get to on next week's podcast is the Terrell Pryor development that's happening up here in Cleveland, which is remarkable to me. Um, so yeah. that's something I want to get to next week. And also we, another thing to look forward to on next week's podcast, we're also going to touch on, uh, um, Uh, the quarterback situation at Ohio State, not just now, but over the next four or five years and what's being done down there. Um, So uh, you have that to look forward to, which is nice. It's been fun, my friend.
1: It absolutely has. I look forward to talking to you next week, man.
0: All right, buddy. Take care. All
1: right, you too.